these two friends of mine to hang around just a little, couple extra minutes. Um, you know, I like to start with the book of Proverbs, and so um, I've asked them, oh, perfect, if they wouldn't help me. So I asked them both, if they, go ahead and take that, Karis, if they wouldn't help, by instead of me reading the proverb today, they wouldn't read it. So you're going to hear it twice by two of my friends. So why don't you go ahead? It's all right. Can you read it up there? Can you see that? Okay. The six things the Lord hates, yes, seven are an abomination to him, a proud look, a a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brethren. Proverbs six sixteen through 19. Well done. Okay. That's once. Oh, wait a second. Hang on a second, Chris. You, you, get, you get to have ice cream can, cone for doing that. Thanks, sweetie. Okay, Julie, go ahead. These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift and running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brethren. Proverbs six sixteen through 19. Thank you, Julie. Give, thank them both. Thanks, ladies. Appreciate you. <laughs> I think sometimes it's good to let the little ones teach us what the Word says. Well, good morning to all of you. So um, we are in the second um, message in a series, and I just have, have been preparing this for a while, um, on the topic of growing positive. Growing positive, and it's not any assessment that I've made about us as a church or you individually. I just uh, have a, this, 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 um, this growing sense that our culture seems to lack this, and um, it just seemed good to me and, I don't know, to the Lord, it seems like, that we should talk about this topic. And so um, the, the word positive, um, I had some fun you know, as I got into the Word of God, but also to get into Webster, and this is a review from last week. What does Webster say um, the word positive means? And there are some wonderful parallels between just the simple, literal definitions of positive that you and I would use in everyday language if you look at it through a spiritual lens, if you look at it through God's lens. What's the word positive? Okay, one, one uh, way that's used is in a photographic sense. It's an image showing light. The Lord wants to shape us into the image of his son, who is all light. Um, True to the original, created from a negative. I mean, wow, I'd like to be true to the original, and I'm absolutely a great negative uh, that the Lord can shape something positive out of. I I mean, it's test results. When you take a test, positive. A result of a test or experiment indicating the presence of something. I love that, the presence of something. Electrical. This one's pretty cool. If something's positive, that means it has a higher potential. You catch that? Spiritually, if you are positive, you have a higher potential. I love that. Then something. Value. A number greater than zero. Greater than zero. That's good. And then, of course, the one you and I would normally use about being a positive person, a good affirmative or constructive quality or attribute. Our word positive comes from the Latin word posit which really means laying down. So you would think of it in the context of the word deposited, um, and that means to lay something down, and it literally meant to lay something down that was trustable, that you could stand on. I love that our word positive, concerning our attitude, comes from a concept that you stand on something you can trust, that you're being positive. So um, over the course of this series, we're going to talk about some different positive biblical qualities 
um, that I think are really important. Uh, last week we talked about optimism, and in the future we'll talk about encouragement and generosity and enthusiasm and being confident. Today I want to talk to you about gratitude, about gratitude. And I think that all of these qualities are wonderful pursuits for us. That we, if we can become more of this, we're going to become a little bit more like Jesus. And, you know, if you allow it to, the Word of God will transform you. This will transform you, and it will make a difference as a son or as a daughter. And, and, and actually, you will see the Lord working in your life in ways that you haven't seen it before. You'll be growing positive. I mean, is it just me, or do you see kind of the world getting more negative around you? Okay, yeah, so, I mean... I mean, it just seems people want to be, be more critical. Um, they want to pick things apart, to find things that are wrong instead of seeing what's right. And complaining is kind of growing into an art form. I mean, we get kind of an art form. You see, some people believe they have the spiritual gift of complaining, right? Okay? And, 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 and so they can find something to complain about. I mean, where, where, where we live in the, in the Northwest, you know, one of the famous things for us to complain about is the weather. It's like, you know, it's too wet, and um, it's, or we got a drought. I don't I get that. It's too hot or it's too cold. And I, I wonder sometimes when we talk about the weather, if, if people in Southern California complain like this, man, this weather is just too perfect. I wish we could have some depressing wetness or something once in a while. I mean, I mean it, we complain about the weather no matter where we are, no matter what it is. You know, it's just, and and I, I just, you know, okay, let me ask a different question. And this is not a trick, kind of. But... Um, <laughs> How many of you would consider, and everybody participate here, okay? How many of you would consider yourself an above-average driver? An above-average driver. Come on, be honest. You consider yourself an above... See, the most of us... Most of us believe we're above-average drivers. Okay. I'm no math whiz, but... Um, I don't know how we can all be above-average drivers, but, you know, but the thing is that if you are an above-average driver, it kind of gives you license to complain about the way all those below-average drivers behave in front of you. I mean, they go too fast. My mother is hanging her head in shame, aren't you? (laughs) Wow. Do you want to talk about this a little bit, Mom? Would you feel better to just... uh, Okay, no, 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 be quiet. Ushers, this woman. Okay, so, I mean... I mean, it gives us license. You know, we, we talk about that dummy in front of us. Do you use the word dummy? Okay. They're going too slow. They're going too fast. They, you know, they blew through that stop sign. You know, here's one that really bugs me, and it, it's, it just shows how small my heart can be sometimes. But you know that thing when you come to the intersection and the other person has the right of way? They have the right of way. They're supposed to be the next movement in the intersection. But they stop, and they smile, and they go, no, no, you go. No, 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 you go. Okay, do you know what I'm talking about? It makes me, I mean, that's dangerous. Here's the thing. You go, because they've let you go, and they had the right of way, and you get in an accident, guess who's in trouble? Not you. Unless, you know, the cop sees them waving the person. I suppose then that they can get, I, I used to work for this big corporation, and they made us go through driver's ed, and, you know, you always back into your parking places, and, and when you were driving a company car, I mean, the worst thing you could do in that company was to get in a car wreck. I mean, it would be, you could be better off to go, you know, hit the president in the mouth than to put a dent in one of the company cars. So, I mean, they taught you things. And one of the things they taught you was you never, ever wave another person and give them directions when you're driving. Because if you wave somebody and then they have an accident, 
you, can, you have some liability. The company didn't want that. So, you know, courteous drivers, I was taught, doesn't mean I was taught correctly, but I was taught by my father, which means it was right. When you get on the freeway, you get up to speed and you blend with what's already happening. Okay? Why are we behind that dude or duchess who's in the right lane and thinks to slow down just so that the people can merge? I'm going to be a nice person. And I'm thinking, ah, I'm getting rear-ended because of you. I'm getting worked up. <laughs> I admit it. I am worse than my mother at complaining about other drivers. <laughs> and that says something. And apparently, though, in this church, we have all of the above-average drivers. The other churches, man, look out when church gets out today. I don't know what's going on over there. We've got so many things, though, that we can come up with to complain about. You know, we go to a fast food restaurant where we pay somebody else, and they serve us, and they cook my food, and they bring it to me. And it takes them three and a half minutes. You know, it's like, what were you doing back there? I've been waiting three and a half minutes for you to harvest that grain and make it into bread. And, you know, I mean, I can't believe how long you took. Um, and, or, you know, this, this week, one day, I was, it was Wednesday, I was over in my office, which is in the, you know, over by the cookie room, and um, studying for this. And um, the ladies, it was during one of the Bible studies that go on on Wednesdays, and so I'm in there by myself and kind of doing my thing, and I'm in my comfy chair in my nice, warm office, and the window's open, and it wasn't raining, it was pretty outside, and I had soft music going and a nice cold Coke. I was sitting pretty, and then this fly. (laughs) I don't know how this fly got in there. This this was March, or is it, it might have still been February last week, but the point was, there should be no flies. Did you bring a fly with you again to... No, okay, so, um, so this fly, that's my wife, I'll pay for that. No, I won't, she's very gracious. But, so this fly comes in, and it starts orbiting my head. And la- <laughs> She said, take a shower, Okay. <laughs> What's that? Okay, so, so it's orbiting my head. You know, I'm trying to focus. I'm trying to work on the Word of God. Where's my protection? You know, come on, what is the deal? And it's buzzing my head. And then it starts landing on my ear. And, and it's gone, of course, by the time you get there. I mean, this goes on for a while. I'm getting ticked off. I'm waving at it. And, and then, and then, this fly lands on the back of my hand. Oh, it's like, it's challenging me. It is challenging me. And I, I couldn't catch the thing. I got out of my, I'm, I'm starting to kind of just go, Ur. I send Lisa a text message. I interrupt her in the women's Bible study. Do you have a fly swatter? Like she carries one around. Right. Here, let me, let me you know, answer no. Time out for a minute. Honey, could we get a high fly swatter and keep one somewhere? Thank you. So just for me. So, I mean, no, I don't have one. I'm, I'm, I'm mad about that. And I'm just complaining. I'm complaining. I get out of my, this has actually happened. I get out of my chair. I'm walking around the cookie room. I'm going through this closet. I'm digging through. What can I throw at a fly? Okay, and the only thing I can find (laughs) in the office in here is this thing you hang on the wall where you slip paper in it and the next person picks it up and it's this mesh. 
It's the closest thing I can find to a fly sweater. It's this metal thing with all these little holes. It's this like a screen thing. So I got to my office, and I'm sitting in my office in that flannel lens, and I take that, bam, missed it. <laughs> it goes on for a while. And I'm just complaining. In a little while, I don't know what got in front of me, what happened to me. It got right in front of me, and instead of slapping the thing, I went like that, and I got it. <laughs> but it didn't kill it. It landed on my desk on top of my notes. It started doing this thing. So then I took, bam, and I got it. Then I had this, I was, now I'm complaining, I had this yuck. <laughs> I mean, we complain about all sorts of things. And we're people who, we drive our car to our house, and then we reach over and we push a button and a door opens up where we drive our car into a protected environment and we push the button and the door closes and then we grumble because the garage, there's not enough room, there's so much stuff. I got too much stuff for my car and I grumble and complain about how much stuff is in my garage. Or then I walk into my house and it's 72 degrees and... It's perfect, and I walk into the kitchen because I'm hungry, and I opened a refrigerator door full of food, and what do I say? There's nothing to eat. <laughs> and then I go and I grab my television clicker, and I turn it on and to my 579 channels, and there's nothing to watch. And then I walk in the closet, and I touch all of my clothes, and I've got nothing to what you guys are hey you guys have practiced this you're tracking with me i'm liking it it's amazing how blessed we can be at the same time we can be ungrateful we can be ungrateful and really transparently with you my first nature is not to be grateful that's not what comes naturally to me i want more i want better i want it faster i want it now and i I know this about myself And I I can tell you for a long number of years now, I have really been in a pursuit, a deal with me and the Lord. I'm really, really trying to grow my own heart of gratitude, to be grateful, to be a grateful guy. And, you know, it's, it's a good thing, I think, because experts talk about gratitude. They say that it's, that it's the value that unlocks a whole bunch of other values, a whole bunch of other values. Gratitude makes you uh, generous, Gratitude makes you encouraging to people. Gratitude makes you thankful. Gratitude unlocks so many other qualities that I'm just asking God to to help transform my heart from one that is sometimes entitled to one that is by nature, by nature more grateful. A tragedy is that a lot of people will never ever go there. They just won't ever go there. And we can see that in an interesting story in our text. Finally got to our text. If you're complaining that I didn't get to the text yet, here it comes. Luke 17, and uh, this is a group of lepers who have encountered Jesus, and we see a pretty sad lack of gratitude going on here. It's uh, Luke 17, 11. Here's how Luke reports the story. Uh, verse 11, now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee, and as he was going into a village, 10 men, how many? 10, right? 10, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood off at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. 
Now, when I've read this before, of course, I want to read the whole story, so I'm motoring through, and we can gloss over this pretty quickly. And if we gloss over this, we're kind of insensitive to some really dramatic things that are going on in these moments, because from the depths of their heart, these guys are really seriously looking for help. Their need was profound, and their situation was really hopeless. And uh, you can read a little bit about what was going on in Leviticus chapter 13 if you want to find out um, what leprosy uh, required of somebody. But basically, by the law of the land, by the spiritual law that they were given, if you had leprosy, you were required to wear torn clothes. Your clothes had to be torn. And um, you were not allowed to comb your hair. Torn clothes, combed hair. You had to look terrible if you had leprosy, as if the scars and the wounds and all of the open sores, all that kind of stuff, sorry, that's gross. But as if that wasn't enough, you had to have, leave your hair a mess and wear torn up clothes. And as you walked around, you had to cover just the lower portion of your face. And, and these, these external demonstrations were signs of a couple of things. The torn clothes and the, the not combing of the hair were signs of being in a period of mourning over a death. And the covering of the lower portion of the face was a sign of shame. Okay? So that was required. And they were, they were required by the law also to avoid contact with other people. That's why they stood off at a distance. And they were required, as they, as they were coming up, if, if somebody was coming towards you that didn't have leprosy, they were required to get on the other side of the street and shout out, Unclean! Unclean! As a warning to people so that they wouldn't come into contact with someone who is unclean. And uh, they were, surprisingly, they were allowed into the synagogue. Lepers were allowed in the synagogue. However, there was a separate cordoned off area away from the other people. They were required to arrive earlier before any of the other attenders showed up and stay until all the rest of the people had left, and then they could leave. Leprosy was um, a terrible disease, and, and I think that the common perception about why all of these requirements under the law was because, well, it's a communicable disease, and so it was meant to keep them from infecting other people. I suppose that was there, but um, leprosy, as are many um, examples given in the Old Testament, was a type. It was a symbol, a symbol of something spiritual going on as well. Leprosy, when we read about leprosy in in the Bible, you can see there's a a spiritual equivalence there to unforgiven sin. Now, I'm not saying to you that these people were sick because they were evil and they earned this and deserved the disease. I'm just saying that leprosy was seen as a symbol of unforgiven sin. Okay? And um, and it's, it's, it's a picture, perhaps, of how God sees unforgiven people. He loves them, but they come across to God as torn up and not so lovely to look at because of, that's what sin does. And, and so, so there's, there's, as I was reading about leprosy, I was reading one scholar. Here's what he said about this. I'll just read this to you. This is, came out of one of my commentaries. It said, the exclusion of a leper was not to serve as a penalty for having contracted this loathsome disease, but primarily to prevent the spread of ceremonial uncleanness communicated by their touch and to teach that the fate brought upon a man by unremoved sin is separation from the people of God here and in the hereafter. Interesting, interesting. So a leper would have all of this pressure 
and be absolutely full to the top of rejection. And on top of that, their body would be, they would have all these physical issues. Their body would be covered with these terrible sores. I mean, this is gross, but it was, it was possible for them to go to sleep at night and to wake up in the morning and um, a rodent would have chewed off a finger or a toe. I mean, it was, this is a terrible disease we're talking about. That's gross. I'm sorry. We're done being gross, okay? <laughs> Thank you for gross, gross mercy, okay? Mercy about grossness, okay? I mean, but it was terrible. And then these are the guys who said, Jesus, Jesus, have mercy on us. They were serious, and they needed it. They really needed it. They see him, and they think that he could heal them, and they've heard these stories that he's gone around healing people. And from the depth of their soul, they're just crying out, Jesus, Lord, have mercy on us. Verse 14, when Jesus saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. Now, they were, that was the ceremonial thing that you were required to do if you were healed from leprosy. And um, um, so, and, and as they, the scripture says, and as they went, they were cleansed. Now, I want to take a very brief moment on a rabbit trail here. Because I don't, this one could be a whole sermon all by itself. Jesus had given them the miracle. But did you notice? It says, as they went, they were cleansed. They didn't get the miracle immediately. The miracle was given, but they didn't see the results of it until they had taken steps of faith and steps of obedience. It's a wonderful truth that you see going on here. Jesus said, go see the priest And as they went, it wasn't while they were standing there with Jesus. It wasn't one of those deals where he stuck his hand on, healed, fixed, done. It was, go see the priest. Their miracle had been given and dispensed. But they didn't get to see it and they didn't get get to enjoy it until they stepped forward in faith and obedience to God. Interesting. Okay, back off the rabbit trail. Verse 15. One of them. How many? One. One. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. (laughs) It would have been really odd for a Samaritan to have interacted with a Jewish person at all. And I'm I'm not going to go down the explanation of that, but if you're a student and you like to to see things that are going on, and there, there is something amazing in that that takes his gratitude to a completely higher level um, but I'm not going to go there other than to tell you, you can just research that about what's going on with Samaritans if you want to. Verse 17, Jesus asked, we're not all 10 cleansed? Or we're not all 10 cleansed. Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to, praise God, uh, to give praise to God except this foreigner? Ten, 10 lives miraculously transformed from no hope to a completely normal life and only one out of 10 came back showing a heart of gratitude. I'm choosing. I'm, I'm just admitting to God in front of you this moment, I want to be that one. If only one out of 10 comes back, I want to be that one. If only one out of 100 comes back, I want to be that one. I do. I want to have a heart of gratitude to my Lord and Savior. I mean, I want to be that one. How do we do this? Okay, so we're going to just take a few minutes, and uh, the next few minutes as we go through scriptures, we're going to see three statements that will help you choose gratitude. Help you choose gratitude. Three statements that I think all of us can adopt and um, put into our heart that would help us to choose gratitude. Number one, we're going to say and declare, I know every good thing I have comes from God. 
every good thing we have comes from God. James 1.17, he tells us the very same thing. He says, every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. He, he is, God is the one who's cast the stars into the heavens. That same one, every good and perfect gift comes down from above from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Every good and perfect gift. Um, you know, I am... Um, I occasionally will tell a story about some interaction I had with my father. My father died a little over 10 years ago, and um, not all of you know who he is, so I thought this time I'd give you a brief glimpse to see a picture of my dad, just not for any reason other than some of you know my dad, but that's my father. He's, uh, he's doing really good now. He's with the Lord, um, and, I, and I love him and I miss him even after 10 and a half years, and I always get my mom's permission to talk about dad because whatever tenderness I might have is multiplied over over there. So thanks for grace, mom. Um, no matter how you drive, it's good to have your grace. And, um, but, uh, but I remember, um, conversations that I had with him, you know, once I was a more grown up than I had been previously. And, um, I was remember sitting with him at one time, he had had this pretty serious heart attack and, um, he had been really back from the dead. He had been in the emergency room and he had been dead. And um, God brought him back, and, and in the following days, he was in a hospital room at St. Pete's. And um, I remember conversations that I had with him at that time. And said, how you doing, Dad? And, you know, and, and his, always, his, his answers were always this really positive. You know, I'm good. You know, everything's good. My life's fine. You know, he would, and he meant it. It wasn't placating. He really, really meant that. But, but beyond that, um, you know, as we got closer to the time that he went home to be with the Lord... He, he faced a very, very rare form of cancer that um, um, I remember it at the time, but I think at the time, I don't think I was so willing to look things up on Google, you know, now like we do now. And I thought, you know, I was looking at it the other day and, and I thought, I'm going to go back and look at that, you know, you know how you look on things, you hear something. So I go and I looked up the type of cancer that he had and it's extremely rare and when you get down to the part where it says, what's the prognosis for what he was facing? Um, it said, if you, many people want to know this thing, fine. But if you're not sure you want to know, stop reading now. That's not a good sign about what's the next paragraph going to say. So it starts giving, you know, and, and those kinds of conditions, they, they give you predicted survivability over a period of time. Short period of time in this particular disease. And it said the chances of survival were like 5% or 4% or 2%. I mean, it was just, it was a terrible prognosis. And he knew, he knew. And um, I remember having these conversations with my dad uh, when I would go with my mom and dad to um, his chemotherapy. And, uh, you know, there's something about that kind of a season that small talk, you don't have time for it. (laughs) <laughs> you know, loving, direct, um, you know, and I remember saying to my dad, how, how you doing? And he knew what I was asking. And he's, you know, of course he, he would, he would say I'm fine and, and so forth. And there were times he'd say, you know, I, I need to know that after I'm gone, that, that your mother and you kids are going to be okay, but I, I'm, I'm fine. And, um, and life is good. And I, I remember thinking, you know, Okay, I understand that's the diplomatic P 
PR answer. You want to be the strong guy in the room. I'm being the strong guy now. I'm going to try. I want to know. You know, you, you, you are facing something that's really not good here. And you're telling me you're fine. You're telling me you're good. And, um, you know, come on, be honest. And he said, hey, the Lord gives me peace. These were sincere words that my father said to me. He said, he said, he said the Lord is giving me a peace here. I understand what you're talking about. And I may go home, and it may be soon. But I've got a God who loves me. I've got great peace of that because of that. I've had a great life with a great wife. I have kids I love who love me, and I'm proud of them. And he, and he starts this <laughs> rattling through this list of things, and he said, all of the things that matter are there. My life is good, he says. My life is good. And I think he realized that all of those good things in his life had been gifts from God. Gifts from God. Now, I want to just pause for a second after telling you that personal story that I know there are people in this room that have, are, or will walk down that kind of a pathway. And I just um, want to pray, Lord, fill this room with more hope than came in here. Fill this room with more faith then came in here. Fill this room, Lord, with fingers and hearts and hands and lips that are willing to declare the goodness of God and to move out in the gifts of the Spirit, even including the gifts of miracles. Bless your people, I pray, Jesus. Anyway, okay, so I think we need to understand that, that every good thing that we have actually comes to us from God. That's how it gets here. And, you know, you might say, well, hey, okay, fair enough, I get the theology there, Terry, but I earned this. I've worked hard. Do you want to see the, the history of what I did to get where I am? And I'm saying fair enough to that. That's really accurate. That's, that's good. That's true. You did a great job of working hard with the talents that the Lord put into you, with the doors that the Lord opened for you, with the destruction that heaven held back from you. You did, you did really well, and it's good that you were diligent, and you did that, but also recognize that all that work was in the middle of provision, godly provision. And I think it's kind of silly for us to claim ownership of those talents. Okay, and I'll tell you, here, okay, here's my, one of my pet peeves. I don't care how great the catch was in the end zone. I hate it when those guys go, you know, I hate that. Just like you hated that just now. <laughs> I'm thinking, be humble. You did a great job, but, you know, stop it. <laughs> You're probably a terrible driver, too, you know. <laughs> I mean, it's like somehow when we take claim and ownership for talents that God put there. I don't know about you, but I can't remember in Psalm 139, when, when I was being knit together in my mother's womb by God. I can't remember saying, hey, God, uh, I think I'm going to put some extra fill-in-the-blank here, ability to be a good running back or ability to do whatever. I, I don't remember participating in any of that stuff that happened in my mother's womb. Psalm 139, I, I love it. It says, for you created, you, God, created my Inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. 
I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. And, you know, Scripture has all kinds of lists of big people who accomplished some pretty wonderful things. And, and God was always the author. God was always the giver of everything that happened in those. I mean, Noah, there's bad stuff coming on the earth, and Noah, you know, God gives him a plan for an ark. He gives him the skills to build it. And Noah used that plan and those skills to save his family. Noah accomplished something really wonderful with what the Lord provided to him. The Lord gave the Israelites bread to eat and partridge or doves to eat and fire by night to keep them warm and to guide them. He, he gave, I believe God gave David the stone. And he gave just the right rotation of his arm. And I mean, the greatest pitchers in the world give up home runs, but not this moment. There was something about that moment God gave to David. Down the big guy goes great story. I even look at this and I think, you know, Jonah, in absolute rebellion to God, God gave him a big old fish ride (laughs) and spits him up on the shore and a whole city. Um, Anyway, God even gave a young teenage girl, Mary, faith to trust him in something that socially was impossible. He gave that to her And she was able to give birth to the Savior of the world. God did it. God gave us the Prince of Peace, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He gave us the Savior of the world. And at times, he'll give you a supernatural peace that goes beyond your understanding. He gives gives us the Holy Spirit to comfort us, to guide us, to enlarge us, to do all those things. God gives you his word to direct you. he He gives you health to bless you. And sometimes we we struggle. and, And he gives us friends who love us, and he gives you life to use to glorify him. Every good thing we have comes from God. And we need to understand that God is is completely good. He is constantly good. He is unchangingly good. God can never not be good. He can never stop being good. Everything he does is good, and, and when we embrace that, you know, that everything that we have is a gift from God, it changes our attitude. It just changes our attitude. Instead of an attitude of entitlement, we embrace an attitude of gratitude, which then overflows into other positive areas of our life. Okay, so number one, I know that every good thing I have comes from God. Number two, I will not let what I want rob me of what I have. You know, I want a better car. I want a different house. I want to do a little travel. I want different clothes. I want a granite countertop. (laughs) I want this, I want that, I want this, I want that, I wish I had this, I went on and on. And, and, and Solomon, here's what Solomon says about that in Ecclesiastes 6. He says, better what the eye sees than the roving of the appetite. He goes on to talk about that roving appetite as equivalent to chasing after the wind. You're better off with what you have than to go looking always for something better somewhere else. And, and I mean, it's better to embrace what God's giving you than to always want something more. It's better. It just is better. This isn't me. This is, this is God through Solomon. And um, you know, when we have a heart of gratitude, our gratitude turns whatever we do have into enough. It just becomes enough. And here's something that's counterintuitive about that. I mean, 
Happiness does not cause gratitude. Gratitude causes happiness. It's exactly the opposite of what we'd think. I'll have gratitude when I have stuff. No, that's not how it works. It's we have happiness because we have gratitude. Better is what the eye sees than a roving of the appetite. Think about what you do have. You know, just the typical person in our church today. I mean, I think most all of you probably get three meals a day. Some of you more. I'm one of the some of you, okay? So um, many of us, maybe most of us, I don't know, can reasonably occasionally afford to go out somewhere and pay somebody else to make food for us. That's quite a bit, you know. Almost all of you probably have a bed to sleep in and you have a roof over your heads. And, and um, you know, most of you have more than one pair of shoes, Leave that one up for a bit, okay? So, I mean, a lot of people in the world, by the way, have zero pairs of shoes. Millions of people in the world have zero pairs of shoes. Okay, that's, okay. I mean, you've got work shoes. You've got your workout shoes. You've got your church shoes. You've got your, you know, garden shoes. You've got your beach shoes. You've got your hiking shoes. You've got your inside-the-house shoes that only stay inside the house, most of you, you've got maybe a car to drive. Those, those of you who have a job, if you have a job, you are extraordinarily blessed in our world. I mean, I just did a little bit of nerdy research on this topic. If you make minimum wage, which in this state right now is like 940-something, 950. If you make minimum wage in this state, you presently earn seven times the household income of half the people alive in the world today. <laughs> I didn't, that's the truth. I dug the numbers up, did the math. If you earn the minimum wage, you earn seven times the household income of half the people alive in the world today. Okay. And yet we want more and more. And more. Most of you have a phone that does more than just talk. You can FaceTime your friends. You can dial up the internet and see what the weather is in... Cody, Wyoming, right now. In fact, you can get a picture of it moving on your screen. You can see the little elk moving in the valley just above Jackson. I mean, I, 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 we have these phones. And, and in fact, we are so blessed that we have things that are already working and we can afford to upgrade those. It's already working, but we upgrade things because there's now a better version of what we have do you see what I'm saying about how blessed we are? I mean, I mean, most of you, you, you have your health right now, and um, that's a blessing. Most of you have traveled somewhere in the last year or so, or, or, and most of you have some friends or great friends around you. And, and yet, we, you know, we have all of these things, but there sometimes can be a dissatisfaction that circulates in our soul. It's just not God. Gratitude turns, gratitude turns what you have into enough. It really does. And happiness... happiness um, doesn't cause gratitude, it's exactly the opposite. Gratitude causes happiness. In fact, Paul, Paul said uh, re- regarding not wanting to let um, what I want rob me of what I have, he said this um, in Philippians 4, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. That's, <laughs> that's a lot. That's true, it's a lot, Paul, way to go. Verses, verse 12, I believe it's true, by the way. I know what it is to be in need, and he did, and I know what it is to have plenty, Some of you people have been in both of those camps. You've been in need and you have plenty. 
Um, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Here's the secret. I can do all this through Christ who gives me strength. Paul got to this place where Christ was all that he had. Until Christ is all you have, you'll never know that Christ is all that you need. And so because we have stuff, we don't realize that he is sufficient, that he's enough. He's what matters. He's what satisfies. He's, he's what I need. And I don't know where you'll go with this, but I, you know, I'm going to choose gratitude. In a world that's negative. It's negative out there. I mean, people feel entitled. Um, they, I want more. I want better. I want it faster. I'm going to choose gratitude. I'll make mistakes in this. So don't smack me around when you see me making mistakes out there, okay? But I'm going to choose gratitude. Okay, one, every good, good thing I have is a gift from God. Number two, I'll not let what I want rob me from the blessings. And then the last one, number three, I'll turn every blessing I have into praise. I'm going to turn every blessing that God's given me back into an act of worship to him. Why? Here's the reason. Because every time we don't turn his blessings into praise, it turns into pride. If you have a blessing and you do not turn it into praise for God, it turns into pride. And the best example I can give you of that is that end zone dance. <laughs> and I, you know, we start thinking, I deserve that. I earned that. I deserved it. I earned it. I should have more. You know, I went to church, God. Give me more. Come on. <laughs> you know, I deserve more. And I, I love what David said in Psalm 63. He said, he said, God, I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I mean, this is, this is powerful. He says, I'll be fully satisfied, God, because, because of your goodness, and I'm not wanting anything else. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods, with singing lips my mouth will praise you. What a great attitude this guy's got. He turns every blessing back into praise. So how do we become thankful and praise God? I mean... I'm going to tell you two things, two quick things, a story and a um, little exercise for us. So this, we're almost done here. Lisa and Joseph, are, who was our youngest at the time, he was three. Um, I can't remember where the older kids were, and Lisa took Joseph shopping. They ended up at the mall um, at Macy's up in Olympia, and that was quite a drive from our house, a long drive. And so they're there, and she's shopping, and um, in, the, in the women's clothing department, of course, you know what it's like to go in the women's clothing department. I do. I've been there. I don't. So anyway, so um, there's clothes everywhere. There's racks. You can't see anything. And she turned around. Little three-year-old Joseph's gone. That was a scary, terrorizing, frantic moment. Um, at that time, there had been things in the press, you know, children being abducted from malls. Okay, all you moms are going, I got your attention, don't I? Because now this is, this is frantic. Lisa is literally frantic. Where's Joseph? Joseph, Joseph. He's not answering. Can't find him. She finds a clerk. My son is missing. He's three. Pretty soon, there are store clerks all over going and looking. They send clerks to stop, stand at every door. I mean, they're taking it seriously. It's scary. <laughs> Something, I don't know exactly um, what happened, but 
if you ask Lisa the story, she'll tell you she remembers looking in the center of the little rounder with the clothes, and here's little Joseph with this grin on his face. <laughs> like it's a big game. And Lisa, you know, he was lost, but now he's found. And I think she just stopped shopping and just took him and was out the door. She was so shaken and upset by that. Full of gratitude that he'd been found. So here's the exercise. So I'm asking you to think of something. You make up something, pretend something in your mind that you have, and you just lost it. You know, here, I'll help you out. Your job, you've lost your job, and you don't know how you're going to pay your bills and all the pressure. So now you're unemployed, or, or, or you've been to the doctor, and the doctor has given you some terrible news. You stage four something, fill in the blanks. Or somebody that you love and care about closely there, you just get this phone call, there's been a car accident, your friend is gone. Okay, so that's what you're pretending, you're thinking in your mind right now. Now pretend like you just got it back. You just got it back. You're, um, you didn't lose your job. You're good. Paychecks are still coming. Or, or a doctor, my bad, it's the common cold, you're good. Or it's a mistake, friend was fine. Friend is fine, okay. Suddenly... I don't know if I pulled you down that bad trail far enough for you to get with me, but suddenly you are very grateful about the terrible thing not being on your doorstep anymore. There's a heart of gratitude that happens. You know, God, I'm thankful for my health. I'm thankful for my friend. I'm thankful for my job. I'm thankful for things that before I was really, really taking for granted. I wasn't grateful, Lord. I should have been. I am now. Thank you, God. All of a sudden, instead of saying, you know, I'm tired of my car, it's, you know, I'm thankful. Or instead of saying, you know, this house is always a wreck and I'm tired, you say, God, I'm thankful that I've got a house full of kids that, you know, yeah, they make a mess, but they're a total blessing and and, um, it's so lived in. Or, you know, or instead of saying, you know, I'm always so busy, I'm always so busy. Yeah, you're busy managing the blessings that the Lord's given to you. You are. And you've got a job, and you've got friends, you've got places to be and things to do and people to help and children to shape. Instead of, God, my house is so small, it's like, oh, I've got a place to sleep. I'm out of the weather, and, um, you know, and, or I hate this stupid job, but no, I'm glad I have a job. I'm thankful I have a job. <laughs> or, you know, parking is terrible at the church today. <laughs> or somebody sat in my seat some new guy sat in my seat today. Instead, be thankful. Say, Lord, I'm thankful that we have a church family that welcomes and people feel welcome to come and just be in your presence, God. And, and that attitude. And when the rest of the world is, you know, wants to tear everything down and all that, we're going to stay positive. I just am going to encourage you to stay positive because we worship a really good God. We really do. We recognize that every good thing comes from God above. We'll never let what we want rob us of what we have because better is what the eye sees than a roving of the appetite. And then we'll turn every blessing that we have back into praise because our God is so good. Um, This is what David did in Psalm 103. And I hope this becomes the cry of your heart. Verse uh, 2, Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. He forgives all my sins. It heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. God fills our life with good things. Therefore, I'm not going to wait 
to be happy and only then become grateful. Instead, I'm going to be grateful and therefore I will be happy. Let's pray. God, I want to ask you to, um, to do um, a work in our hearts. Start right here. For the times I take things for granted, Lord, I, I'm sorry for that. I don't, I don't, that's not good. And I own that. Give me a heart full of gratitude, Lord, so that I would be the one who returns to say thank you. I want to be the one, Lord. And I know other people in this room are feeling the same way today. Help us to be the one. Help us, Lord, this day to have a heart full of gratitude. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand?